Hello and welcome to episode 212 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Washington, D.C. This is Ben Olson with me as Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. I am in Los Angeles. How's it going? It's going good, man. You're already in the office today? I am. Yeah, I decided to come in and I haven't recorded in here in a long time, but it's great, except for the fact I have no window. Oh. Yeah. I might have to remedy that. Well, I'll describe the outside world to you. Thank you, please. Yeah, as it passes by. Right now it's just cars, but I'll tell you if anything interesting comes by. (laughs) Okay. Today on the show, we have a few things that we're going to cover. First of all, we're going to talk about how we're fucking dumb again. (laughs) God. (laughs) Yeah. So in the last episode, we were reading someone's personal statement and they talked about PI. And I, for some reason, was like, what is that? And what did you suggest it was? I can't oh, we, even remember. Yeah, I I was like private investigation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what personal you, injury. Personal injury. Yeah, that's what we speculated. You thought it might have been uh, intellectual property and they just got the letters backwards. Yeah, I was really like thinking that the other person was dumb and they were probably rolling their eyes. And PI, then, of course, means. Yeah, well, Mary proceeded to then write an entire personal statement all about public interest law. Mm hmm. And we didn't even put the pieces of the puzzle together until after the show. All of a sudden I was like, oh, God, you are so dumb. Oh, my God. Anyway, sorry, Mary. Yes, you obviously meant public interest. Yeah. Although it does raise an interesting point about acronyms. People use acronyms in their personal statements every now and then, right? And sometimes they're using them unnecessarily. It's like, look, everybody knows what that is. And in other cases... They're using them and they don't realize how unique they are to their world. Uh, maybe unique is not the best word, but they use them a lot in their world. And so they think that everybody knows them, but no, they don't. And that's where we come in and say, Mm-mm, write that out. But yeah, yeah. in any case, we're also going to talk about the September LSAT pandemonium. Oh boy. There was some serious pandemonium, pandemonium, especially at American University, which is disappointing since that's a school that's historically performed very well at executing the LSAT. We have um, November test centers filling up again, apparently. We have a question about intermediate conclusions versus conclusions or main conclusions. We have some GPA addendum advice. Okay, or a question about that, I guess. And then David's good personal statement. Good is in italics. Okay, cool. So maybe we'll be able to provide an example of how you should write rather than how you shouldn't. I really like it. And I, and I don't think it's like the most super amazing. It's not just like, Oh, my achievements are so incredible. I just think it was a well presented. I thought it was a well-crafted personal statement. So I'm happy to offer an example of one that just was good. Okay. And I imagine we'll still provide some constructive. Yeah, of course. Nothing's ever perfect. Nothing's ever finished, but yeah, it's a lot better than many of the ones that people have claimed to be finished that, you know, are basically need to start over. Um, I think David is definitely on the right track. So that'll be hopefully useful for the listeners. Okay. Yeah. If you're listening to this, uh, the day that it comes out, you have two weeks until we will be meeting in New York City for our weekend live class. That's on Saturday, October 12th and Sunday, October 13th. We have uh, found a venue as well. That will be at the Kimpton Inc. 48 Hotel, very close to Times Square. Uh, It's at 653 11th Avenue, for those of you who know New York City. 
But in any case, yeah, it's on the west side. So New York people don't complain about having to go to Times Square. It's like, but on the other side of Hell's Kitchen, you're going to be okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Last year we did like we had like half of the class was from out of town, and they were like, "Oh, cool! Wow, New York City, this is awesome!" And then half the class was from New York, and then they were all 100 of them bitching about coming to Times Square. So we get it. You're New Yorkers. You don't like Times Square. You don't like tourists. So this will be a little bit away from the tourists. So you don't have to complain. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So the class is three ninety five. It's the weekend. It goes from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. both days. And we'll be meeting up the night before Friday night for anyone who wants to join us for drinks. If you are a premium Demon subscriber, you will get a $300 scholarship to this wonderful class, reducing the price to $95. And if you're a regular Demon subscriber, you'll get a $200 scholarship bringing it to 195 Anyways, you can sign up for that class at thinkinglsat.com forward slash classes, or if you just go to thinkinglsat.com, you'll be good. You can find it there. Also, that weekend, just so you know, on Friday, the day before the class, there is a law school form at the Grand Hyatt in New York. Uh, that's going to go from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. So really, you can knock out two birds with one stone. If you come up to New York that weekend, go to the form and then go to our class should be a lot of fun. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, go to the forum and grab a handful of uh, fee waivers and it'll uh, pay for the class. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. You can always email the show at help at com. Send us your selfies if you're so inclined. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our very own website, com. Leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. And we love to hear back from people and what they think about the show. You can also just uh, send us a voice message. If you don't want to write the show, just pull out your phone, record a message, and email it to help at com. Do we have any updates other than that? I don't think so. I'm almost caught up on ask button requests. I've got a handful of them to work on today. So thanks to all of the listeners and students who keep asking questions. If you're not hitting the ask button, I still just don't really believe that you're studying. You need to ask your teachers some questions. Tell us what you don't understand so we can help you. It is getting more and more fleshed out every day. There are, you know, hundreds slash thousands now of written explanations in the demon, but I'm going to still be working on those for probably another year until I get all of them, but I will get all of them. Awesome. Oh, that's exciting. I should say uh, that as you're plugging away at that, we are working on Demon version. I don't know if we should call it 2.0 or 1.5, but the bottom line is we're doing a total rehaul of the underlying code. The reason I say 1.5 is that the users may not see a huge difference in the Demon, but we're working on a lot of under the hood sort of things, and that's coming out in a few weeks. But people definitely will notice a difference. They will see a difference in how the layout and so on. But fundamentally, the the inner workings have been streamlined and improved to better track what you're doing and keep track of all your information cleanly and nicely in the way that we want to, based on all that we've learned over the past year and a half. So it's been fun. Yeah, thanks for all your hard work on that, buddy. Yeah, of course. All right. So September LSAT pandemonium. Do you want to take this first one? Sure. It says 
Please, please, please review the online blow up of September LSAT of the September LSAT. Someone online said taking the September LSAT was like walking through Compton wearing red. Oh, okay. That's a little bit dramatic. All right. The games were awful. It says it included this flower game with a setup that made no sense, rendering the entire game impossible for me and many others. Hmm. I have, I have thoughts. Yeah. I imagine there was, the need to slow down, think a little bit more, and maybe it would be unlocked and thus very easy. So yeah. We'll see. I would like to guarantee to you that it made perfect fucking sense. It made perfect sense. I guarantee it made perfect sense. I will eat my hat or whatever. I don't know. It made perfect sense. <laughs> like, is this the first one, Ben, in the history of the LSAT where the game didn't make sense? It would be redacted if it didn't make sense. Yeah, you won't have to worry about it if it didn't make sense because they're going to remove it from scoring if it didn't make sense. But that's not going to happen because I guarantee they tested this question, this game a million times and it made perfect sense. You freaked out. You lost your mind. And you're not the only one. I mean, it's just that we've been doing this for a decade now and I've heard too many times people crying wolf about games that didn't make sense little tangent here about questions that are removed from scoring, just so people know what happens when people, when the LSAC gives you an experimental section, what they're doing is they're pre-testing future questions. They want to see if they're legit. They're testing them for consistency on all sorts of things. So it's very rare for a question to get onto the official LSAT that has flaws because it's already been tested through the experimental sections, but sometimes it does happen. And those individual questions get removed now again it doesn't happen very often and when it does happen it's almost always in logical reading logical reasoning or reading comp now i have seen it in games which makes me puzzled it's like what (laughs) what was inaccurate about or misleading about that would be one question on a game never a whole game for sure not a whole game for sure and when it did happen i i think it's only happened once for the games. There's only been one question and someone must have really hit themselves on the head after that, right? They're like, oh fuck, how did I mess this up? Because unlike logical reasoning or reading comp where you can have degrees of correctness, rare, but it still can happen, in games you don't have degrees, right? It's either right or wrong. There's no way around it. So somehow someone messed that up. I'm not saying it's easy, by the way, you know, like I don't want everybody to hate me more than they already do and tell me like, I'm not saying that the game was easy. I I have heard from many of my best students who took September and were like, hey, there were not a lot of cupcakes on that section. Like those games were tough. I will buy that they were tough. I will buy that they were different, but I will not buy. It didn't make any sense. You didn't make any sense of it. That does not mean that it didn't make sense. You have to read. This is actually a really important lesson about the games. You have to read it in such a way that it does make sense. You have to make sense of it. It makes sense. So, yeah, you were reading it in some way in which it didn't make sense. That means you were reading it incorrectly. You weren't reading it the way they intended for it to be read. So you have to read it again and reread it. And, you know, just like you you have to figure that shit out. There is a solution. I promise it makes perfect sense. And so, I mean, I can't wait. Wait, is this a disclosed test? September. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sweet. Good. 
Yeah. Okay, so can't wait to get my hands on this. Um, boy, I would really love if this was released before our class, but probably not. I don't think it, it's going to be released. Well, the scores come out the day after our class on October oh, 14th. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so unless they release the scores early, we're not going to get it in time for our New York class. But we will have our hands on it right away. We'll make videos. They'll all be in the demon. Like the, we, We'll have, you know, we'll learn as much as we can from this. But, uh, you know, if I, I really did, Ben, I heard, I, I'm sure you've heard the same, just people who routinely go minus two or minus three on the games and they think they scored minus 12 on this section, mm. the September 2019 mm-hmm. test. Yeah. Well, yep. I think you just weren't good enough at the games to begin with, you know, minus two or minus three is good, but many, many of your competitors are going to score perfectly on their practice sections before they sit for the official test. So it sounds like you just didn't maybe do all of the prep that you needed to do. Oh, sorry. I guess I should continue reading this. It says the reading comp was extremely dull and hard to focus on after the logic games fiasco. Based on practice tests, I'd assume I scored at the lower end of my range somewhere in the 150s sad face. Is there any possibility that the scaling will accurately reflect the difficulty of that test Or am I, and most everybody else, just screwed? Could a 170 be more than minus 12 ever? Triple question mark. Love the podcast. Thanks for everything. Sincerely, a victim of LSAC. (laughs) What's the uh, most mistakes you've ever seen for a 170? I think the highest I've seen is minus 15. I think you can get up there. I know for sure that you can get minus 14 and still get a 170 on some tests. And you can get as few as minus 8, maybe 7, but I know 8. So I know there's a range of at least minus 8 to minus 14. So saying, could a 170 be more than a minus 12 ever? Yes, it's happened a number of times. And I wouldn't be surprised given the number of people who found these challenging that the curve is a little bit more generous, but that's just the LSAC's effort to make this these scores as standard as possible. I would predict that they're going to have to make the test harder. The test has gotten slightly harder over time because people get has better it? at it, right? I don't know. The games have gotten easier over time. The last few tests, dude, in the 80s, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the hardest games were in the... I would say in the 20s and 30s. I agree. I think the games have been very easy since prep test 44 or so. Mm -hmm. There's been a few here and there that are actually tough, but like on the whole, the sections have gotten easier and easier, I think. But I'm hypothesizing, as we do sometimes on the Thinking All Set podcast, that because of the accommodations issue, they're going to have to make the test a lot harder. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, maybe so. Does the percentage of people who get accommodations goes up? Yeah. When I have people in my classes telling me that they're just straight getting accommodations for no reason, just because they can just to work the system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I didn't used to hear that a few years ago, but I hear that now pretty regularly. And so if that's happening a lot, then they're going to just, you know, they need to get a bell curve of outcomes. So they're going to just, I would think have to make the test harder. Yeah. By the way, what do you think about this sign-off? A victim of LSAC. Hate it. You? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. What what did LSAC do that victimized you? I mean, I mean <laughs> made a test a, hard so that they couldn't figure it out. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're just joking around, but they're real victims yeah. in this world. <laughs> yeah, they're right. Like, y- you're very fortunate to even be sitting there taking the LSAT. So, yeah, you know, the whole Compton wearing red thing and the, it was, it was impossible for me and many others. Like, yeah, okay, you failed. Like, sorry, but you, you didn't prep hard enough mm-hmm. or, or you just had a bad day, which you need to accept that you had a bad day. I, I don't think LSAC. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can talk about lots of other snafus from the September 2019 test. But the snafus are not related to the difficulty of the test. No. I mean, here's the thing. I realize you're probably joking, but to the extent that that joke is reflected in your actual belief of the situation, you're going to deny yourself the opportunity to learn here. You're going to block that, right? You're not going to say, okay, what could I have done? How can I figure this out? What about this game does make sense? And, and you know, even sometimes people will figure out a game and then they say to me like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense now, but I could never figure, if I got this again, I would never figure it out again. And it's like, why do you say that? That's not true. Yeah. It's like counterproductive. Well, it is true if you keep saying it. It's true if you keep saying that, but it's like you have thousands of thoughts that go through your head and you've chosen to accept that one. Like you need to choose better, more accurate thoughts that reflect reality, which is this stuff is figure outable. <laughs> trying to make up a word here anyways you can figure it out the games make perfect fucking sense like you you didn't read something you and everyone else okay well wasn't literally everyone else i guarantee some people scored perfectly on that section and you didn't and that's you know okay i feel you like that sucks but yeah this is the the whole victim i know you're joking partially but that's a real bad self-talk and if you keep doing that it's going to i'm not even talking like i don't believe in the secret or whatever bullshit you know woo woo nonsense mm-hmm. but this does manifest in reality if you continue saying shit like that it, it, that's that just you're gonna the more you say that the more you're gonna believe it yeah the more you say i can't the problem is out there not in here and so then even if it's true that the problem is out there you're basically denying yourself the opportunity to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, if, if the one fifties is in your range, right? The student is saying that they walked into the test with one fifties in their range. Mm. Well, that's not a great range. Like you're not, that's not an elite law student. So if you want to get an elite score, I mean, you're talking about trying to get into the one seventies. Well then like your bad days need to be better. Mm-hmm. So you maybe need to get better at the test. Like you need to work harder. Yeah. I mean, the logic games are a test. It's a test of how hard you can work. There's hundreds of these games available and your competitors are doing every single one of them. So mm-hmm. work harder. I don't know. Don't know what to tell you. All right. So September LSAT pandemonium part two. Hi, Ben. I need your advice on canceling my LSAT score due to an atrocious test administration today. How do I go about canceling my score and will that show up on my LSAC report? So to answer those two questions really quickly, you log into your LSAC account, you find your test, and then you click cancel. You have six days to do so from the day of your test if you are going to cancel. And the second thing is, will that show up on my LSAC report? Yes, it will. It will show up as a C. If you withdraw the night before the test then you will not have anything on your record. Okay. But law schools only care about your highest score, so it doesn't matter. I mean, yep. if you 
if there's no chance that your performance on this test is a score that you will apply to law school with, then you can go ahead and cancel. A bad score and a cancel are the same. Yep. The problem with a cancel, though, it does use up one of your attempts, and a withdrawal does not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you took the test and crashed and burned, it's still one of your three attempts in any one year or five attempts in five years. Mm-hmm. And so that's a bummer. Canceling or keeping it. What I say to people all the time is just like, was there a 10% chance that it's better than your highest score on record? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if there was even a 10% chance that it's even one point higher, then it has value and you probably shouldn't cancel it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, the student continues, I showed up to American University, Washington College of Law at 7.30 a.m. to take the test. We are supposed to start or at least finish checking in by 8.30 a.m. At 8.30 a.m., all the test proctors exited their meeting room and started setting up the testing rooms. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, that sounds like a, oh, what do we do? Yeah. We didn't start checking checking in until 9.15 for the room I was assigned. Okay, that's not crazy. After a few people started checking into the room, they stopped letting people in. This persisted for about 35 to 45 minutes because the test proctors screwed up the seating chart for the room. (laughs) Interesting. We were all seated by around 10.30 a.m., at which point we filled out our admissions ticket. (laughs) Wow. You've been there for three hours. I mean, you did get there real, real early. Yeah. But still, (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's, I would say you want to get there by at least like 8.10 for an 8.30 check in so <laughs> you've been there now for this is two hours past the check-in time and you're just now filling out the admissions ticket wow yeah that sucks because we heard about some people who ended at noon so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yikes all right after that the main proctor an old rather large man with a silver haired ponytail okay Thank you. Started the tables up for the ver- tablets up for the verification form and video tutorial. However, every few seconds, the tablets would exit out to the main page saying that the test was paused. This went on for a half an hour. Wow. At this point, it was around 11 a.m. and everyone in the testing room was getting frustrated. Multiple people asked to use the restroom and the main proctor declined saying no one could exit to use the restroom. Oh, classic. <laughs> they have so many rules. At this point, the main proctor audibly said, as opposed to some other way, I guess, to the entire room, we are going to have an, we're going to have to invalidate all these tests because they apparently messed up the seating chart. <laughs> Man, this is a point, this is a, this is a point when <laughs> you just need to like sit back and start laughing. This is humor is like meant for this purpose, survival. Purposes. Yeah. I mean, I know how I would react to this whole situation. I would be looking around just watching the people who were getting pissed off the most. And I would just be laughing. I would just be like, yeah, all right. You're, you're having a bad, I'm not having a bad test day. I don't care. I'm in performance mode. I'm going to win today. And you all are fucking up right now because you're mad about shit that you can't control. I feel you, but like, it doesn't do any good. So everybody getting pissed off is just hilarious. I love it. Wait, did I tell you about the girl in front of me when I took it who didn't want the tape on her face? Didn't want the tape on her face. Yeah, I know that's confusing. But you remember back in the day, you had to, you had to staple, or I don't know if you're allowed to staple or not, but you had to get your photo, your passport photos glued or 
taped to your That's right. ticket, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I was standing in line to take the test, and like five students in front of me, there was this uh, girl who had not attached her picture, her passport photo to her paper ticket. And the check-in lady was like, okay, well, we'll just, no worries, we'll just tape your picture on. And she goes, the student says, I don't want tape put over my face on my picture. (laughs) And and the proctor's like, it doesn't matter. We're going to throw these away in a week anyways. They're just used for verification or something. And I guess the proctor started to put the tape over her picture because the student like flipped out right and she's like i'm not gonna have tape on my face and she got out of line and started taking the tape off of her picture (laughs) (laughs) jesus wow that's the kind of thing that's just you know it's just entertaining my only hypothesis there would be that she was worried that that was gonna then get her score invalidated somehow like she knew better than the proctor and that if she thought that it would like make her admission ticket incomplete or something. Oh, that's that's a good theory. I never thought about that. I just enjoyed the. Uh, the Otherwise, the what humor. the what is she? Yeah, wow. I took yeah. I totally took it as like someone who was obsessed with how they looked or something. Yeah, it could be. People got pissed off at my test too. I mean, I told you about the girl who broke down crying during the break because she had misbubbled one of her sections mm. like misbubbled the entire section mm-hmm. and so she started crying to the proctor and the proctor very kindly let her rebubble her entire section mm-hmm. but then and so that was like oh well that's nice like what sure whatever she fucked up like what yeah you shouldn't get your whole test fucked up because you misbubbled the section by one you know you skipped a question and then you just misbubbled everything yeah i mean that indicates that you're already just not doing that well on the test, right? You're not thinking, you're not Mm -hmm. focused. You're not being careful enough. Like, what are you doing? So anyway, I felt bad for this poor girl and it was like, Oh, that's nice that the proctor actually decided to be human and let her rebubble the thing. But then everyone else in the room was pissed. Everyone else was like, that's not fair that they're letting her do that. Oh my, I'm going to email LSAC or whatever. I'm like, all y'all are, you're just totally have the wrong attitude about all of this shit. (laughs) Like, what what does that have to do with you? It has nothing to do with you. Even if she miraculously pulled a 180 out of the hat, the stats would not be affected since this, what's it called? Anyways, it's not called a The curve. test is scaled. It's not curved. Yeah, the scale has already been set. So it's oh, like, but what yeah. if they score higher than her and then they apply to the same law school <laughs> and they're exactly perfectly matched except for she scored? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, all right. People are just... Yeah, they just lose their mind. They just don't have the right perspective about it. Mm-hmm. I think people need to think about their grandparents and think about like how hard your grandparents worked and like what type of shit they actually did. Mm. You know, like my grandparents were agricultural laborers. They worked their ass off. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a room doing climate control, like <laughs> taking a test that takes half a day. Oh no, there was a big snafu with the took two hours to get registered. Yeah, okay, fine. You're sitting there. Whatever. I mean, them not letting you go to the bathroom is pretty, (laughs) that's pretty fucked up. People need to start wearing Depends to the day of the test. Just let it fly right there in the seat. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I'll stop yelling. No, that's good. So this continues. Okay. So we're going to have to invalidate all these tests because apparently they messed up the seating chart. 
After that, everyone was visibly upset. While the main proctor kept pausing everyone's tablets, one student was let out to use the restroom by one of the secondary proctors without the main proctor knowing. When the student returned, everyone was upset and demanded to use the restroom. Fairness, fairness. Ugh. The main proctor. Type A assholes. Jesus Christ, calm down. The main proctor then proceeded to tell everyone they could use the bathroom but would have to be escorted by a proctor and he would only allow, quote, one boy and one girl. (laughs) 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 At a time. I love it. This is fun. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, uh, okay, so half. After letting out about half the people that requested to use the restroom, the head test administrator walked into the room and wanted to know what the issue was since our room was holding up the other rooms. Now, that to me is just like bizarre as shit. You're telling me that they can't start the freaking test because one room hasn't got its act together? That's not how that shit should work. No. If there's a door and you're in a closed room, everyone in that room should start. I'm not even sure that that is how it works. Because well, that's how it used to work. I knew that I know on the pencil and paper test at USF, that's definitely how it would what? work. Why? Because they they would close the door as soon as. So what they would do is, and it makes way more sense this way, is that they have all these individual small rooms. They start registering people. They seat people in the rooms as people arrive. And as soon as that room is full, the proctor for that room goes ahead and starts the test. Oh yeah, I agree. That's how it should be. You're saying that yes yeah. that. That's how it should be. But that's how it was not at you. Uni- no, that's how it was at USF, and that's oh. how it should be everywhere. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I don't, so I think I don't that's know how what's it going is, on actually. here. I think that's how yeah. it is everywhere. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we're Even agreeing. with the tech now, I think the tech is just room-specific. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Anyways, so apparently the head test administrator at AU thought that this room was holding up everybody else. They had it fucked up somehow, and they put all... I mean, it sounds like their tablets were already fucked up to begin with if everybody's tutorials restarting and everything and they're pausing everyone's tests at once like i don't <laughs> who knows maybe they had them all on one ner- network yeah. all on one circuit or whatever instead of having them chopped wi-fi up. wasn't reaching all the tablets <laughs> oh god i mean anyways okay so it says it turns out that the issue the entire time was twofold first the main proctor was pausing everyone's tests while also an entire row of people failed to fill out the verification form on the tablet and watch the video. Can I ask about this video? Sure. Why can't you watch the video before the test? Shouldn't that be part of your online registration? Yeah. I agree. Okay. If this were a private company rather than a nonprofit, <laughs> I'm sure they'd be like, hmm, how non-profit. can we save time and Non-profit money? for profit. Yeah. <laughs> this prevented the main proctor from starting the first section. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm not. Sounds like there was a lot of confusion. We finally started the test around 1130 a.m. So, wow. Four hours after the student arrived. When the main proctor started the test, everyone's tablets kept cutting out to the main test section screen multiple times, Hmm. which cost us around 25 seconds on the first section. We were never given instructions on how to complete any preliminary sections in the tablet and not once were informed when sections were starting. Well, you understand what that we were never given instructions on how to complete any preliminary sections? I don't know what that means either. No. 
<sighs> he continues. What would you recommend? I this do? Is so- it sounds, this already is kind of sounding a little hysterical. Like I understand you were having a bad day. And so now everything gets magnified. Yeah. Yeah. It's but you're freaking on, out right? about 25 seconds mm-hmm. out of 35 minutes. I don't know. One seventieth of your time. Like that's maybe half a question max. Yeah. And you're worrying about the wrong shit, but anyway, no, but I'm glad we're sharing this story because if you're sitting here listening to this story and anything remotely similar to this happens, you're going to be much more prepared (laughs) to react calmly than if this is all new to you, right? If this is all new, we tell horror stories from the show all the time. Mm -hmm. I guarantee some shit like this is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like it just, just plan on it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Weird, weird shit's going to happen. But you know what else is going to happen is you're basically going to have almost all of 35 minutes for each of the sections. Yeah. Like you're going to have time. It's just, it's, you should expect that it's going to be a full day. You should expect that the check-in procedure is going to take hilariously long. You should expect that the proctors are going to be really, really bad. They're part-time amateur people. They're not, these are not professional proctors. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They work maximum of nine days a year. So they're, of course they don't know what they're doing. Of course it's going to be a shit show. You're still going to be in and out of there in less than a full day of work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this actually really uh, radiates the, I can't talk, reiterates the point that you should sign up for the test after the test you're planning to take. So if you plan to take yep. it in, Oct- in September, then you sign up for October as well. And I hear some people sometimes, and I understand because it costs 200 bucks, but they're like, yeah, but I want to be done by this in September. It's like, yeah, I-, I want you to be done as well. I want this to be a test that you do well on and that you're happy about and that you can then turn your focus to applying. But things can go wrong that are outside of your control. There are things that can go wrong inside of your control. In short, there are things that can go wrong. So just now anyone who took September but did not sign up for October is forced to decide to apply with their September score or a previous score that they have on record or wait until November. But if you signed up for the October test before you took the September test, then you would have that option now. And most people who want it will take it gladly. And most people who don't want it, well, they lost... 200 bucks, maybe 150 bucks, depending on when you cancel. But that's a small price to pay for the opportunity to take it. And it's, it's one tenth of 1% of what law school is going to cost. Like that, that extra 200 bucks is just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. All right. Anyways, he continues, what would you recommend I do? Should I report what occurred to LSAC? I'm also rather upset since the next opportunity I'll have to take the test would be in October. Okay. Well, thankfully he had signed up for October. I'm definitely leaning toward canceling. I'd appreciate any advice or guidance you have. Well, if like what you said earlier, Nathan, you know that you're not going to use this score to apply. If you know that, then cancel otherwise keep it if there's a 10 percent chance that it might be the same or better than what you have on record or something that you can use just keep it because a drop is not going to hurt you but an increase is going to dramatically help you well i mean josh's whole horror story here is it took a long ass time to get the test started they wouldn't let me use the bathroom 
It was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Then a 25 second delay on the first section. Yeah. That's why that's not grounds for canceling your score. Yeah. That's way, Hey, way, way worse shit could happen in October. Yeah. The real challenge here is how he, how he felt about all the stuff that led to that and therefore maybe affected his test performance. But the test situation itself was not actually. There might be more to it that Josh isn't sharing here, but I, I just don't, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Right. We don't know. But I mean, based on what you've said, this looks like a clear do not cancel. You can report what happened to LSAC. Best case, they're going to give you a free retake. This doesn't, none of this even really sounds free retake worthy. I mean, I oh, guess I if they you would. yelled real loud about the one boy, one girl policy. I think if you that, do said that all seems this inappropriate, yeah. <laughs> I think if you said all this, I think they'd give you a refund, but just cause yeah. I think they're trying to be like accommodating. They're not going to argue with someone who's upset. And this is a long delay. It is a long delay. Okay. So Josh can report it, get a free retake. They'll give you a free retake in November probably, mm-hmm. or maybe a refund on the September score. Eh, who knows? Yeah. All right. All right. LSAT, L- September LSAT Pandemonium Part 3 from Stacy. Hi. Uh, I'm in the midst of listening to episode 211, and I thought I'd take you up on your open invitation to tell you about how the September LSAT went. I've been a demon user since August, and it has been immensely helpful. Great. Minus the awful logic games I'm sure you've already heard about, I thought the test was pretty okay. This was my first time taking the LSAT, and about halfway through, I had this feeling of surprise slash realization that it felt just like all the practice tests and timed sections I've done, which I thought was funny. I don't really know what I was expecting. I think I might just be so used to school exams where you don't get to do practice tests that I never fully registered that I was studying with actual past exams. Yes, you were, Stacy. The LSAT demon uses only actual, real LSAT questions. And you are studying, you know, potentially the tests from last year if you're doing prep tests in the high 80s. So that's fantastic. I was at my testing center for a much shorter time than anticipated. My test finished a little afternoon. Surprisingly, I felt like the break was more disruptive than anything. I believe that. Um, Since they didn't have to stop and hand out new booklets each section, the sections went by really fast, and I felt like I was on a roll and would would have rather kept going than take a break. I also wanted to share this poster that my friend surprised me with after the test. I don't know if it's an accurate summary, especially considering that game section But at the very least, I consider myself lucky that I was able to take the test that day. I'm scheduled to take the October test as well. Good. Smart. Thanks for all your responses to my ask button questions in the demon. Discovering the podcast and the demon was truly the turnaround point in my LSAT studying. I've been recommending it to everyone I know that also wants to go to law school. Best, Stacy. Did you see Stacy's picture, Ben? Yeah, that was hilarious. Yes, her friends made her a uh, slightly profane and uh, excellent <laughs> celebration poster. So, uh, but boy, she's man. Look at the different in, difference in perspective. I mean, obviously, her day didn't have the weird snafus, but she rolled with the punches on the logic games. She felt like she was just doing the same shit that she'd been doing over and over. 
during her prep. And she signed up for October. So she can go ahead and take it. If her score doesn't come back where she wants it, she can just take October. Yeah. And uh, if her score in September is as good as it sounds like it might be, she can just withdraw from October and get to applying. Yeah. Fantastic. Anything else you want to say about that? No. Congrats, Daisy. Thanks for the nice words. Yeah. All right. So next one, November test centers full question mark. Hey guys, I just wanted to send you a quick email to let you know, November testing centers are filling up quick, quick, (laughs) quickly. I know you covered the October testing centers on your podcast, but it seems the seat availability issue continues. I live in Matawan, Matawan, New Jersey, about an hour from New York city. And the majority of nearby test centers are full. I'm on the November wait list. The test centers that are unavailable near me are, okay, all five New Jersey test centers, seven out of 13 New York test centers, five out of 10 Pennsylvania test centers, and one Delaware test center, one Maryland test center, two DC centers, and three Connecticut test centers. Wow, this guy really did his research. Anyways, love, oh, Megan, sorry, she did her research. Love listening to you guys, Megan. P.S. I love a discussion about non-traditional applicants, 30 plus with families. Okay, she's 30 years old. She's got a family. She's working full-time and looking to go to law school part-time. Bonus if y'all add in active duty military retiree. I don't know what to say here. What do you want to say? The only thing I would say here is, look, you know that you want to go to law school. If you're not sure, get the book. Don't go to law school unless... And that will familiarize yourself with all the potential reasons why you might not want to go. And if you still want to go, then despite the challenges you face with having a family and working full time and all that stuff, go for it. Yeah. I mean, as a military retiree, she probably has like a nice income and benefits and stuff. And so she might be better. And she also might get like, um, GI bill, yellow ribbon, all that shit. So if they're going to pay for it, that's a definite um, point in the yes column. Mm. And if, and if she already has like a pension, you know, and benefits and all that, and doesn't really have to worry that much about how much money she makes in, uh, with a legal career, that's a point mm-hmm. uh, in favor of her going. Yeah. There are so many points against going it, it just, <laughs> Oh wait. And she's working full time. Looking to go to law school part-time. I, I wonder what her plan is. Like, why? For what? What are you trying to do? Most times when people are 30 and over, like, you're probably going to make less money as a lawyer than you're making right now. But I just, I see that all the time. I, I just, I don't never understand it when like successful executives or whatever want to go back to law school. I'm like, what? Mm. What do you think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be competing with a bunch of like 21 year olds right out of undergrad because <laughs> you're basically starting over, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, law school is wizard school and you haven't gone to wizard school before. So it doesn't matter how old you are. Like, yeah, you've got life experience, but let's see how you do in Civ Pro. <laughs> like, you don't know anything about that. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I was a non-traditional applicant. I was 30 plus. I should not have gone. More often than not, uh, my non-traditional applicants, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, this is painting with a real broad brush, but when people come to me that are 30 and over, 
it's more likely that I think they shouldn't go. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I get a lot of people that are where I'm just like, wait, your plan is what you're doing. What young folks are still trying to like figure out their life. Right. I mean, they like, they don't have any kind of a career Yeah, and maybe law will be the thing for them. But older people who have already, you know, done stuff, I don't know. It's like, why are you not still doing that stuff? Or I don't know. Start. It's just, it, it's like a major start over. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be bad for your family. I guess part-time programs make it a little bit different. You know, she's not talking about going to law school full-time. She's talking about going part-time. Yeah. I think that's a little like less stressful to go part-time because everybody else, you know, can't study. 80 hours a week because they have jobs. I hope the military is paying for it. That's my final thought. I would say if you have a plan, you know what you're going to do with your degree, then great. But if you're just going because of some loose notion that this is kind of something you want to pursue, I justice. would think again. <laughs> Speaking of the word justice, LSAC sent out an email yesterday and they used justice. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I did. They're, they're protesting <laughs> real hard about their, the, like, they know that they're getting a lot of bad buzz about the rollout of the digital LSAT. Yeah. And they're just like, I mean, they even were telling us, they were advising us on how to communicate to our students on their behalf. <laughs> you saw that, it's right? Like a little propaganda machine. Like, give them calm reassurance. <laughs> yeah, I saw About that. what? About your business? I'm not giving them calm reassurance about your business and your fuck ups. <laughs> it's going to be you okay. canceled people's tests. Okay. I mean, we didn't even talk about this in the snafu part, but oh, yeah. we, we, they canceled people's tests on the day before the test. Yeah, that's true. Because they didn't have the equipment. But these are people who paid $200 and they signed up six weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me to tell them to be calm. Okay. You can tell them to be calm. <laughs> <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I'll tell them that they should get a refund from you. And like, that's just, what? what are you talking about? Yeah. Anyway. I'm surprised actually, did they even, you know, in those cancellation emails, I don't think they even mentioned a refund. No, they, no, that, they That's would be like line one. I'm sorry. We are canceling your test. And by the way, you can take the test again for free. Thank you. Like if I ever canceled a class, I would do that. I'd be like. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this. Oh, I would be mortified. Yeah. Here's a refund. And do you want to join a future class or something like that? I think, I mean, like what, how embarrassing anyways. I might as well read this email. Now we, we were on like Instagram live talking about this, or I was with Annalisa talking about this on Friday. Cause this came out on Friday, September 20th. They sent to a bunch of students, including a bunch of my students who were taking the test at Berkeley City College, they canceled the entire test center. Dear candidate, this was like in the afternoon, by the way, after their offices were closed. Okay. So this is afternoon in California time. Yes. They're on East Coast time. So it's already like yes. 7 p.m. their time. Yes. Here's the, here's the email. Ready? Dear candidate, we are writing to inform candidate. you that due to a shipping delay, like parentheses and our fuck up, the equipment needed to administer the LSAT at your testing center will not arrive in time for tomorrow's exam. And as a result, we are working to reschedule your test to happen within the next two weeks. 
We recognize the time and effort you have put into preparing for this important test, and we deeply apologize for any, con- any inconvenience this delay may cause. We will be in contact with you again by email to inform you of the new test date. In the meantime, here's our email. Here's our phone number. Oh, by the way, our office is closed, so we're not going to respond. They said their hours then? Or they didn't no, say no, that? No, no, no. I'm, I'm adding. Yeah. I'm editorializing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> giving them some help. But... I got uh, multiple. I got a couple different emails um, the, on Friday afternoon. So this was from students in Berkeley. I mean, by the way, Berkeley is a relatively urban place. Like, can they not ship the tablets from Connecticut to, or no, where are they? Pennsylvania? Yeah, they're in uh, Newton, Pennsylvania. Right, Newton, Pennsylvania. They can't get the tablets from Newton, Pennsylvania to Berkeley, even though they've had this test on their calendar for a year and people have been signing up for it for months. The deadline to sign up was like six weeks ago or a month ago. I know it's so long ago. They should have. Why is the deadline so far in advance if you're not going to have your shit together? Anyway, <laughs> like just they're not. It's this that we're always talking about, like how you have to take the blame, right? Yeah, they do not do that. Nope. They deeply apologize, but it's due to a shipping delay. And then And then they're telling her that they're going to reschedule her test to happen within the next two weeks. But guess what? She's going out of the country. She's not going to be here. She's been planning her whole life around this test. You know, we deeply apologize for any inconvenience. Okay. Then I got another email from Utah, this test center in Ogden, Utah, that apparently got also canceled. (laughs) This, This candidate had driven up there because of, you know, inability to find a testing center in her area. So she was sitting in the hotel that she had bought on the night before the test when she got this email that her test center for tomorrow had been canceled. Yeah. And the hotel didn't know apparently, right? The hotel was administering the test or is someone at <laughs> it was the- actually the hotel that was administering the test and they didn't know that it was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I'm just reporting what I've, what I'm hearing from the, from the people, the but people. it's, <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah, my, my students. And I feel, yeah. I really do feel for these people. Like this is an actual snafu. This is fucked. Like this changes your whole schedule. Yeah. Wait, I got an update, Ben, that I don't think you've heard about. Oh, here's a twist from someone who signed up for that Berkeley student. Interesting twist for me, though. After the email, I received a call from an LSAC rep confirming that I knew about the delay. I told her about my travel plans, and she said I could try to go to an Oakland test center as a standby if they had available seats. So this morning, I left super early and was able to talk to the proctors there, but it was still super stressful because they did not know about any standby process and tried to tell me I couldn't take it there, obviously contradicting the phone call. I had to argue with them and they called like five different people for over 40 minutes before finally, like five minutes before the exam started telling me that I could take it there. Wow. So I did take the test today, but I'm not super amped about my performance courtesy of the stress from last night all the way to just before the test today. Hey. <laughs> and then, and then they email out about how the rollout went, you know, went well <laughs> yeah good stuff okay moving on yeah question from demon user elena 
She says, would you be willing to talk about conclusions versus intermediary conclusions in a Thinking LSAT podcast episode? No. <laughs> of course, this is all we do. I was just talking about this last night, in fact. Uh, it's part of the class, you know, these things come up. And someone said, I don't understand the difference between an intermediate conclusion and just a regular conclusion. Actually, their question was about the difference between an intermediate conclusion and a main conclusion. Elena here called them intermediary conclusions, which the LSAT has called them that before. They're also called They're subsidiary, subsidiary yeah. conclusions. But the point is, is that an intermediate conclusion is two things at the same time. It is a premise because it is being used to support the main conclusion or at least another conclusion in the argument. And it is a conclusion because it itself is being supported by another claim, which is a premise, in the argument. So if you have an intermediate conclusion in your argument, you have to have at least three parts. You have to have at least one premise, which is being used to support the intermediate conclusion. And then you have to have the intermediate conclusion and then finally, the main conclusion, which is supported by the intermediate conclusion. Now, you could have a lot more than that, but you have to have at least those three things if you're going to get an intermediate conclusion because it's sort of sandwiched in between a premise and another conclusion. Well said. Okay. Should we give an example? Well, sure. I mean, let's say we got an argument that goes like, if your name is Biggie Smalls, then you are a rapper. Yep. All rappers swear. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, wait, now I'm fucking it up. <laughs> okay, you got two premises. I, ha- I had it in my head. Well, I'll just, re- then I'll have to add another premise. Uh, so, uh, therefore, uh, Biggie Smalls swears. Okay. If you swear, you will offend my mom. So Biggie Smalls offends my mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The intermediate conclusion there was Biggie Smalls. Sm- Biggie Smalls swears. Yes. I had two premises. If you're a rapper, you swear, and if you're Biggie, you swear. You're you are a rapper. I used those two premises to support an intermediate conclusion that Biggie Smalls swears. I had another premise that said, "If you swear, you offend my mom," and then I ultimately reached the conclusion. Therefore, Biggie offends my mom. Mm-hmm. That is so. Yeah. The intermediate conclusion, Biggie swears, was used both as a conclusion, because I reasoned my way to it. I had to use premises to to prove that. But then I combined that with another premise to get to my ultimate conclusion. Yeah. So it worked so as the intermediate a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's both a premise and a conclusion. Cool. It's good to know that, by the way, because sometimes in role questions, they'll ask you, hey, what role does the second claim play in the argument or something like that? And let's assume for a second that that second claim is an intermediate conclusion. Well, sometimes people will look at an answer choice and it will say it is a premise that is used, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, it's not a premise. It's a conclusion. Like, no, intermediate conclusions are premises. The only difference between an intermediate conclusion and a real premise is that or a pure premise is that you have to accept premises as true, but you don't have to accept intermediate conclusions as true because the author tried to convince you of their truthfulness. And now we can start calling bullshit. Right. They, yeah. And don't overcomplicate these role questions. I mean, is it a premise? Is it a conclusion or is it something else? That's my first analysis. 
frequently, if they're asking me about what turns out to be an intermediate conclusion, it just feels to me like it was a premise. Mm-hmm. Like I, re- I didn't even realize that they had done reasoning to get to that intermediate conclusion. But if I see an answer choice that says it's a premise used in support of the main conclusion, or it's, it, it is a conclusion of the argument, but not the argument's only conclusion. Mm-hmm. Then I'll start thinking about like, well, wait a second. Let me read this again real carefully. Okay. Were there premises that were used in order to reason their way to this thing? Yeah. And then was that thing used in turn to justify the conclusion? Okay. So yeah. All right. I guess it was. So it was an intermediate conclusion, but I don't, I'm not even going to think about that until I see answer choices that are describing intermediate conclusions. Yeah. Cool. It could be, you know, if they ask you if there is an intermediate conclusion and they ask you about it, the correct answer could still be it is a conclusion of the argument. For sure. Yeah. Right. Because it is a conclusion of the argument. It's not the argument's only conclusion. Oh, If it says it's the argument's only conclusion, then there can't be an intermediate conclusion in the argument. Yeah. Oh, by the way, sometimes you know how they say like, let's say it's an intermediate conclusion and it says it is the conclusion that blah, blah, blah. That's okay too. But sometimes people hit that word the or the, and they're like, Oh no, it's not the conclusion. It's an intermediate conclusion. But if it's the conclusion that blah, 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 the conclusion that supports the claim something else. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Well then that's describing some, not the ultimate conclusion because it's used to support something else. Yeah. Anyway, okay, cool. Moving on. Yeah, GPA addendum advice. Um, you want to take this one? Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. And as I write this, I can already imagine the snarky comments you guys will give for what I have to say. Feel free to use my name, Hannah, if you air this on the podcast. You could consider me a super splitter as my GPA is a 2.5 and my LSAT score is 175. Oh, wow. I know how you guys feel about people with low GPAs applying to law school. Yeah, basically don't do it. But I personally believe my reasoning is valid. Okay, so I guess she's going to try to uh, rebut the presumption that you shouldn't go to law school with a 2.5. Okay. A 175 is a really good start to that rebuttal. By yeah, the way. that is your most convincing point. <laughs> like <laughs> like you could stop there and I would go, well, hey, okay. scoreboard, you have a 175. That's a 99. That's always 99th percentile. That score is undeniable. Yeah. There are schools that you probably have no chance getting into with your 2.5. Sorry, the ship has sailed yeah. on many, many schools. But with a 175, you're also going to open the door to lots of, you know, wannabe big time law schools. Yeah. That like even schools that are just outside the top 14, where they're going to be like, well, you're going to have the lowest GPA and the highest LSAT score of anyone in our class this year. Hmm. Probably not going to get a scholarship. Anyway, okay. Yeah. That's the background information, right? So here now, Hannah's going to go more into her story. Okay. It says, in my junior year of undergrad, I fell victim to domestic violence, which eventually led to consistent stalking and harassment by my abuser, who is connected to law enforcement. Oh, shit. That's scary. That is scary. Yeah, that sucks. I spiraled into a mass depression slash anxiety stage for several months and refused to leave my house for fear 
for my own personal safety. While three months went by, I was eventually able to file for a restraining order, which made the process all the more stressful. By the end of the semester, my GPA had dropped from a 3.6 to a 2.2. As I hadn't left my home in months and felt too ashamed of the situation to mention it to my school. Wait a second. How does your GPA drop in one semester of your junior year from a 3.6 to a 2.2? Oh, she had a 3.6 for two years. And then she got a 2.2 that semester. Because even if you got a 0.0, your overall GPA wouldn't go from a 3.6 to a 2.2. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I'm confused. But I get it that like you had a really horrible semester. I mean, if you had a horrible year, I would totally get it. So I, I get that. People write into like, the I show understand. all the time and they, they, they bitch and moan about some challenge that they had and that explains their GPA. This sounds like one that would affect you seriously and make it hard to make the right decisions in terms of withdrawing or oh, yeah. proactively taking care of the situation. Maybe all you could do was huddle up at, the, at least at that time in your life. So, okay. I'm curious to hear yeah. more. Yes. hundred percent. And by the way, we are listening to you because of your 175. If you tell the same story with a 155, the law schools don't care. Nope. But you tell this story with 175 and they're like, yeah, okay, you've clearly got the horsepower. So let's hear your justification for these bad grades. We really need to figure out what happened, though, with the grades, because right now it doesn't make sense. That didn't make sense. That part didn't make sense. It's not possible in one semester that your GPA, your overall GPA cannot drop from 3.6 to 2.2 in one semester. If you already have two years under your belt, that that is not a thing that can't happen. Yeah. Okay. Right? I, I could do the math real well, let's quick. Do Wait, the math. 3. Yeah, 6 so 3.6 for four times semesters. Times four plus zero divided by five. Yep. 3.6 times four is 14.4. So 14.4. Divided by five. Divided by five. Your five semesters. Is, this is the first semester? Eight. Okay, well, that's close. Well, it could be the second semester. Maybe if it was a whole year, 14.4. Divided by six is 2.4. We're still not quite getting there. So the math doesn't quite add up. Wait, what'd you get? For I believe that you, you had a 3.6 in your previous semester and then a 2.2 in this semester. Yeah. That I totally That get. makes sense. But then how'd you get to a I mean, 2.5? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And anyway, I would get that you got a literally zero. Like you could totally have failed all your classes for a year. But you got to just be explicit about what happened, you know, and ex just explain but even, it. Even, yeah, I don't know if you'd fail them entirely. Maybe, maybe she did. Maybe she did. Okay. Anyways, if she literally didn't leave her house, yeah, she would just get an F in every class. Mm -hmm. I planned on discussing my experience with the injunction process and my lack of legal understanding at the time in my personal statement. Because this process is what drove me to my decision about going to law school. Hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe. They're going to want to know what you've done to overcome this issue, I think. Like, if this is real raw, like real fresh, like just happened, they're, they're, they're going to be maybe reluctant because they're just going to be like, don't know if you're ready. 
to embark on like such a serious educational experience. Like just law school is going to be stressful and hard. Well, she's hit a one seventy five, so clearly she's yeah buckled down and started accomplishing stuff. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it depends on what you have to say and what you plan to do with your law school education. I'm curious more about that. But anyways, what else did she say yeah. here? To make a long story somewhat shorter, I would still like to try my cards at top 20 law schools, but would not like to waste my time if a GPA addendum for my circumstances would not even be considered at them. Do I bother? Since the domestic violence incident mentioned above, I have been working at a domestic violence shelter and accompanying several of my clients to court for their own hearings. I have my mindset on law school and worry that many schools will not even consider me given my GPA. Is this a valid reason for an addendum? If so, what ways can I work or word the situation to work in my favor? Thanks for all you guys do best. Hannah, Ben, I would much prefer a personal statement about the work she's done in domestic violence. I think, yeah, I think a personal statement about the work she's done in domestic violence. I think you could even, I mean, it's again, it depends on how it's written, but it, you for could, sure you can mention this the the, issue the incident yes. that led to that work, right? But you don't need to talk about your GPA in that part. No, but if you write an addendum about the GPA, if you tell that story in your personal statement, you talk about the incident, you talk about keep it brief, but then you go into the work you've been doing and and all the help that, or all the yep. stuff, cool stuff you've been doing. Then when you write your addendum that says, "Oh, by the way, this semester that's where things kind of fell apart," they're not going to be like, "Huh." It's going to, you can say all this stuff you really want to say without saying it directly. And so they get it, but you don't sound like you're complaining or whining or anything like that. So I would just stick to the facts like we usually suggest for GPA addendums and say, this is when that domestic violence started. This is the semester and these are the grades I had and these are the grades I ended up with. And that's why I now have a 2.5 or whatever. And then just leave it at that. Yep. I think with a personal statement that talks about the incident briefly and then a lot about the work you've done at the domestic violence shelter, it would be hard for them not to be sympathetic to your case. And I suspect that this you would fall into the presumptive deny category at many of the top schools, but be pulled out of it. I think you would. With that 175. Potentially, yeah. And uh, an addendum about your GPA that would then draw them to your personal statement, they would be looking at and say, you know what, presumptively we deny you, but we're going to put you in committee and evaluate your situation a little bit more. I wonder what your GPA was at the very end of school, like senior year. That that would be helpful Did to it know. Did come back? Yeah, that would be persuasive and helpful. I would say your your personal statement needs to be really, it needs to be compelling. It needs to be really well edited there were a couple things that I stumbled over in this email mm-hmm. that, that are like, whoa, that doesn't sound like a 175 to me, which I, you know, whatever you tossed off the email quickly. I understand Hannah that you did not like, uh, you know, triple edit this, but you just want to make sure that in your communications with law schools, you're going to want to tighten that up, especially at the top, top schools. They're just, they're going to expect you to be a little steadier with your word choices and stuff. I wonder why she's so like, why top 20? Like, what's like, what's the reason for that? I mean, if she wants to work in with like victims of domestic violence, I don't see any reason why she has to go to some prestige, you know, elite law school. No, if you're going to do 
Yeah, you're going to be working for like a clinic or something like that. This is, I'm not, yeah. What's your goal? And this is actually one like hesitation I had is it sounds like a life experience that led to law school, but what's your, what do you see yourself actually doing? Because maybe you're letting the emotion of the situation drive you to a profession that you really don't want to work in. I'm not saying you don't, I I don't, I I have no idea. Like maybe this made you aware of the law and now that you are familiar with what you'd be doing, that's something you want to get involved in. But it's very possible that when you think about the day-to-day grind of what it means to be an attorney, it's either not what you want to do or the kind of work you want to do as an attorney is not going to be very financially stable. And so ultimately this isn't a great career path. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. It's just things I would want to, dig in with you more about. Yeah, it because it doesn't, I agree with you 100%. Like this horrible, awful thing happened. Therefore, I want to go into big law. Like that just would not make sense. Mm. You know, like, I mean, it, it kind of sounds to me, if you want to work with victims of domestic violence, I'm just not sure that law school is the really the way to do that. Yeah. It depends on what you want to do. Like, what is it that you actually want to do? And do you need a JD to do that? Right. Thanks for writing in, Hannah. And do you need to go to a top 20 law school to do what you want to do? I doubt. I mean, unless you really like, if you want to go to big law or, you know, big time, like big time elite nonprofit stuff or then that kind of thing, then yeah, I guess you do have to go to big law, but Maybe she wants to be a judge or something. But you could go to any local law school and work in criminal law and probably end up becoming a judge. So I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure. Anyway, ready for this personal statement? Yeah. I guess I'll read it. So yeah. uh, David's a student of yours? No, wait. Yes. David is an online student of mine. That's right. And he wanted me to just like take a quick pass on his, uh, personal statement. I did. I definitely did not try to talk him into using our personal statement service, Ben, because this I thought was like basically good to go. I made some, I made some really brief, you know, suggestions like I always do for my uh, students in my classes. But I was like, wow, that, you know, I just immediately was like, Hey, can we use this on the podcast? Cause I thought it was just, uh, it's got some things about it that I wanted to really emphasize. So let's, uh, yeah, let's hear okay. it. I listened as Mr. Smith explained his goals. That's the first sentence. It's an I sentence. It's short. It is somewhat passive because he's just listening. Yep. But he continues. He had, it gets into it is the thing. It's just like (laughs) it, 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 you know, I think you'd read that and you wouldn't really take to, you understand it. It's clear. Yep. Okay. What's Mr. Smith talking about? Let's hear it. He had a single car garage and a narrow driveway. He also had a small front porch, side stoop, and back patio. He wanted all of them removed and more spacious versions built. I asked him why he had contacted us, since my company is a business that specializes in repairing the foundations of existing structures and slabs. It didn't seem that we would be a good fit. He explained that we were his sixth attempt to find a contractor. Previous contractors weren't interested because they were they either weren't big enough to handle a project of that size or they weren't set up to operate in an established, confined neighborhood. As we parted, I told him that I wasn't certain we could help him either, 
but I would look into it and let him know. Okay, uh, lots of great things about these sentences. They're all clear. A lot of them are short, although there is some variation. There are no typos or punctuation mistakes here at all. Yeah, it's like, if it's easy to read, it's probably good writing, right? It's just like, that's, it, that's, that's good. We want simple and clear. Mm-hmm. We do not want super fancy, long-ass lists, lots of colons and semicolons and parentheses and all that type of stuff. Like, you can just go ahead and leave all that stuff out. Just use periods. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and put a period. Okay. You know, and mm-hmm. I like that there's a problem to be solved here. Mm-hmm. I like the, it's sort of like he's showing humility a little bit. Like I told him that I wasn't certain we could help him either. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What else? Yeah. I am curious. Uh, does David own this company that I would like that to be a little more clear? Cause sometimes people use my company as reference to a company that they work for. Do we know? I think he makes it clear as he goes. Uh, Cause I think the next, yeah, yeah just keep reading. Okay. I think you'll get it. As I drove back to the office, I thought about Mr. Smith's situation. Although his project fell outside my company's bailiwick. <laughs> that was actually my suggestion. And it was just because he had used a clunkier phrase there. It, well, I mean, but it, obviously, if you're stumbling over that word, then we shouldn't use that word. And I even put it in the comments. I was like, you could try this. It's kind of fun. You know, it means purview. Sure. Probably purview would be a better call here, actually, because that's a more familiar word. But I don't know. I thought that bailiwick was kind so of So I haven't heard word. that word before, but um, fell outside. I mean, it's pretty obvious from the context of what it means. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another word that I would use here. Fell outside my company's, like, there is a word that I want to use, but I can't remember. You could say it's not in my company's wheelhouse. wheelhouse. That's kind of fun. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, I feel like that's a little more common than... Bailiwick, but that's yeah, might just sure. be me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, fell outside my company's bailiwick. <laughs> Am I saying that right? We had enough manpower. Yeah, sure. We had enough manpower to take on his project, and our guys had the necessary skills. I called my boss and described the project. He remind he reminded me that we were a company that repairs and preserves, not the one that tears down and rebuilds. I told him that although I understood him, Mr. Smith had a need, and I believed we could meet that need. After some further discussion, he told me I could proceed, but with caution. Over the next two days, I researched, composed, and submitted a bid to Mr. Smith. One week later, Mr. Smith awarded us the contract. Before we could begin, I needed to obtain a demolition permit and a building permit. Although I had obtained permits before, I had never applied for a new construction permit. To ensure it would go through smoothly, I began reading through the pertinent building requirements and codes. All right, that's making me pause just a little bit. Could have probably just said codes instead of requirements and codes. But okay. Okay. When I came to the section about building setbacks, I found a problem. Current code specified that structures could be no closer than five feet to the property line shared with the neighbor. Not only that, but driveways could be no closer than 12 inches to the property line. In order to build the garage and driveway that Mr. Smith wanted... We needed to be as close to the line as the existing drive and garage. Unfortunately, these were right up against the line. I began trying to find a solution. I went back to Mr. Smith's neighborhood and began looking around. After 30 minutes, I found what I was looking for, a newer drive and garage that were built right on the property line. I began researching how to get a permit approved when the project violated the building code. 
I discovered that there is an appeals process through which you must submit documentation proving that, although it violates setback codes, the project still falls within what is normal for the area. If that can be proven, the appeal is allowed to proceed to the next step, applying for a variance. To obtain the variance, you have to inform the neighborhood in writing of your intentions and gather the signed consent to proceed from 75% of the residents in the area. Once that's done, everything is submitted to the city council for consideration. Wow, what a process. Yep. I began gathering everything I would need to get the permit approved. I took pictures of the new drive and garage that had been built right on the line. I found a few other properties where the same thing had been done, bolstering my case that Mr. Smith's project wasn't abnormal for the area. I took a letter describing the project and a set of drawings depicting it around the neighborhood. I managed to get the signatures of 97% of the residents. I applied for the permit, submitted the appeal, and applied for a variance all at once. Three Three weeks later, the city council approved our permit. I enjoyed learning how to help Mr. Smith through this somewhat complicated, although I'm sure not uncommon, situation. My hope is that a legal education will enable me to do this type of work daily and at a higher level. Yeah, I like it. I like the fact that it shows how much stuff he did (laughs) without, like, build up and then the thing and then repeating the thing right like each of these sentences adds a new piece of information about what david did and at the same time this isn't otherworldly right sure i enjoyed learning how to help mr smith through this somewhat complicated although i'm sure not uncommon situation my hope is that a legal education will enable me to do this type of work daily and at a higher level yeah i mean It's clear. He's got a lot of good sentences that are short. They're telling us what he does. So it's showing rather than telling that he's so great at things or he knows how to get things done or he knows how to research and find answers to thorny problems. At the same time, it's not over the top. I mean, he did something that's pretty cool. I think most people would have given up, especially someone in his position. Yeah, sure. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's not ridiculous. So this is a, the kind of statement that anyone could write if they just thought about something in their life that they've gone a little bit above and beyond what is normally required. Yeah, it's just, it's it's simple. Yeah. It's understated, but it's clear. It's easy to read. He, If you think about everything that he does here in this statement, he goes in and he, first of all, he gets a deal, right? Like he makes a sale mm-hmm. on a, sounds like, decently big construction project, right? He's going to rebuild a garage driveway and like three different porches. It sounds like. So I'm imagining that this is a $50,000 construction project, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know how much like that costs, but it's like, okay, so you're going in, you're looking, figuring out what needs to be done, talking to a client the client has been unsatisfied by six, five other contractors. And you, then this one finally works or he, you know, he's trying to make it work for this guy. So I like that part. He makes, he like, he creates, he researches, composed and submits the bid, gets the deal. But then the part that really I, I loved the most was just, 
when he like went and figured out what was going to have to happen in order to make it in order to make the legal shit happen. Okay. And this is not like practicing law without a license. This is just going in and doing research to figure out what, you know, the building permit situation is. Okay. And the one fact that I loved Mm -hmm. the most, you want to guess what it is? Yeah. It's, it's near the end of the second to the last paragraph that he applied for the permit submitted the appeal and applied for a variance mm-hmm. all at once. I was like, that's some lawyer shit right there. Like that's winning. That's what, that's what people do when they're just going to win. Like he went out, drove around the neighborhood, figured out that there were other houses where this type of shit had happened before. You know, I'm sure like did took photographs or whatever, went around and got all the signatures for, you know, 97% of the residents in the neighborhood or whatever, even if that's only 97% of the block, it's still like, yeah, I went out and got everybody's signature that was going to need, you know, I I wanted, I like that. It was like, not just, yeah. So I applied, then I got denied. Then I went and got signatures. You know, it wasn't like that. It was like, I figured out everything that was going to need to happen. And then I did every single one of those things. And I did them all at the same time. And then in only three weeks, he gets, you know, he gets the approval from the city council on a process that I imagine can take six months, right? It's like so many government processes that are basically designed in order to see if you'll give up. Yeah. And, and he was like, nope, I'm not giving up. In fact, I'm just going to win this shit right now. And, And that he did it all. Like he just went and did all this work. And, and then because he had done all the work and he had done it all correctly, he jumped through all the hoops and he won. And that just seemed that, that like struck me as so lawyerly. Yeah. It just makes a very compelling case for if he's going to say this will, you know, my hope is that a legal education will enable me to do this type of work daily and at a higher level. That just, to me, it just totally clicks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's what, that's probably what, that's like what lawyers do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's simple, you know, it's not like, it's not knock your socks off. Amazing. But it just, it, I think it is a damn good personal statement. It is. That, that really shows what David does, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, he's got on his resume. I'm sure he's got, like, I worked at this construction company. Yeah. But then here he's showing that it's like actually got a reasonable, to me, this demonstrates that he knows what lawyers do and that he's sort of apt for that kind of work interested in and apt for that kind of work. hundred percent. I could see someone writing this personal statement and overselling here and there throughout, Yeah, you know, like it normally takes six months, but with my perseverance (laughs) and forethought, the city of council approved our permit in three weeks. And it's like, yeah, okay. Why take, (laughs) why ruin it? Why, why be the guy at the party who's like, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm the CEO of my company. Like, oh, wow. Wow. That's cool, man. How many people work there? Well, uh, I do. And just me, (laughs) my son on the weekends, (laughs) it's like, oh, okay. 
versus someone else who's like, you know, I keep thinking of this story. I, I read uh, Elon Musk's biography a couple times. And one time when he met his second wife, she asked him what he does. And he said he's an engineer. And he started yeah. showing her the uh, pictures of the rockets that he was working on. And she thought for, I don't know, the first little while that they were dating that he was an engineer who literally worked on the rockets. And then she found out that he was the, yeah, the owner of multi-billionaire <laughs> CEO, founder of PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> and he says he's an engineer. I'm working on these he's rockets. An engineer. It's true. Yeah. yeah. The, the, everybody's like, they're like, they want to say so much more. They want to say, Oh, I, I'm, and then that, you you shoot for 12 yeah. feet and you only have 10 feet and everybody's focusing on the fact that you're short. If you focus, if you, if you just keep it simple and everybody goes, whoa, this guy's 10 feet tall. <laughs> it's a random analogy, but it, it also doesn't have any complaining in it at all. Like he could have bitched about these ridiculous building codes. It's not fair that, you know, even though there's other houses in the neighborhood that have this same, it's like, that's not the tone at all. Right. It's just like, it's very reality based. Mm -hmm. It's like, I would have, you know, he's not complaining about the fact that he has to get a demolition permit and a building permit Mm -hmm. or he's not complaining about it or something. No, he's just very plainly saying what happened. You know, he's not when he's the whole thing about the setbacks, he found a problem, but he's not complaining about the problem. Mm -hmm. He's just saying, well, here's the obstacle. And then just real quickly, you know, gets right to the solution, tries to find a solution. This is like exactly what I'm looking for on your personal statement. I want a problem and a solution. Here, let me give you one more. I could see another one. Sure, Someone could come in and say, you know, I propose this and then I told my boss and my boss said, you know, let's think about it or something. And then it's like the next day I was, I was promoted to lead, you know, <laughs> lead construction manager of this project. Right. And it's like, cool. Why don't you just tell us what you did? We'll figure out that you're doing a lot of shit and you're getting it done. Anyways. Yeah. I, I, I really like it. And it's just like, And, you know, I understand that this is not the only project you ever worked on. I think a lot of people might think that this is too small of scope. No. But I get it. Like, you've been working there for 10 years, whatever. This is just one of the things you did. Yeah. You know, it's like it it lets me imagine all the other stuff that you probably do. (laughs) All the other things like this that you've kicked ass on. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like it, it's because I could see people. Yeah, I could see people like trying to. Ex- of course, I also manage construction teams of over seven people on, uh, you know, <laughs> i.e. eight. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And and instead, this is I don't know, just it's very, very humble and soft, you know, understated, short sentences, easy to read. I just think you read this and you come away going like, oh, yeah this guy seems like a pretty solid dude to put on our team. Yep. And I'm already reading, I'm I'm reading this like, because he's got an LSAT slash GPA that are put him in the range for our school. And he seems like a good writer, like just because of the fact that I can read it easily, he's a good writer. Yep. Right. That's what naturally humans do. This, this made like, I was able to read this. So he's a good writer. 
mm-hmm. like with no fancy words. I mean, that's actually a really good argument for just getting rid of bailiwick, right? Like instead put whatever. I was, I was replacing like four words there, just trying to, like I agree. It, it should even, be short, you know, tighter. Yeah. But, uh, if it's a word that's going to make people stumble, then yeah, probably don't like, you're going to, you don't want to insult the reader. You don't want to like have it so that they, you know, feel if they have to go like, wait, what? I don't understand what you're saying. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Anyway. Still, I mean, I think you can have one word in there, especially when it's an obvious, its definition is obvious by context and it saves. It's obvious by context and you look it up and you're like, oh, that's kind of a nifty word. Yeah. But I agree. You want to, you don't want to draw attention to yourself or the words you want to draw attention to the message that you're trying to convey at the same time, you know, when we're reviewing these statements, people are doing that in every other sentence and you're like, Oh, right. Ugh, stop, stop. Right. Just tell me what you did and what happened. In retrospect, I wish I would have suggested wheelhouse because wheelhouse mm-hmm. is a little more casual and everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been, and it means the exact same thing. So, all right. So fine. So if it's the exact same thing, it's still one word. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even a syllable shorter, like, okay, so that's better. But overall, I just thought this was an excellent, clear, simple, personal statement. (laughs) You don't have to have done super spectacular things. This is not super spectacular. This just makes him look like a, a doer. It makes him look like a serious solver of problems in that sense it is right in that sense it is spectacular like just getting shit done versus it's different mm -hmm. i mean he contrasts it to mary's personal statement that we were reading on last on the last show Mm -hmm. you know and not to like pile on mary again but like that personal statement just had so much complaining Mm -hmm. this has zero complaining this has one you know thorny problem easily could have just, you could easily just could have given up on this. This guy sounds like Spock code. Well, he's, he's certainly not sounding like some big drama queen, right? (laughs) He's just like straight in with like, well, the code says you can't, you know, you have to have these setbacks, but there is a procedure by which you can apply for a variance. And then there's an appeal and there's a whatever. And there's, you have to jump through all these hoops. And if, if that's the type of thing that makes you like tired where you're like, Oh God, no, I don't want it to the really all that. Yeah. Then this might not be the right like area for you mm-hmm. law. Cause it is like, this is exactly the type of thing that a lawyer would love to do to figure out that there's a rule, but then there's a variance and then there's a, an appeal and then there's a whatever. And all you have to do is go get all these signatures and then file a report and then do all this stuff, you know? And then next thing you know, three weeks later, it's just approved. And he got this deal for his, he got the deal for his company and he was able to take care of, you know, Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of neat. Yeah. It's a good one. I like it. Yeah. Well, that's that. You can um, join the Facebook group at Thinking LSAT Podcast or the Thinking LSAT Podcast group on Facebook. I think we have over 1,500 members there. A lot of random stuff being shared there. You can also follow us on Instagram at Thinking LSAT. That's probably where you'll get the latest updates on events and other things that we're doing. You can also tweet us at Thinking LSAT, uh, Nathan at NFox or me at Olson Benjamin. 
My company's site is strategyprep.com. If you want to take a live class in DC, Nathan's website is foxlsat.com. If you want to take classes in LA or San Francisco, we also have some one-on-one options there. Our joint project, as we mentioned earlier, is lsatdemon.com. You can sign up for a free trial. Why should people sign up for that? Why should they sign up for that? Because it's everything you need in the palm of your hand. One-stop shop for LSAT prep. You can do LSAT questions on the go. It'll keep track of your mistakes and give you questions that are chosen in order to help you improve the most. And if there's anything that you're confused about, you get instruction from me and from Ben. It's the only place you can get both of those things. Awesome. You can buy LSAT Demon shirts, by the way, at LSAT, at thinkinglsat.com. <laughs> People have asked about that. So praise the demon. Yeah. LSATdemon.com. You can buy a shirt. Those are for sale finally now. Yeah. The October class, sign up for that quickly. It is filling up and way more than it has in the past. So we are expecting a large crowd, but seats are limited. So you can do that at thinkinglsat.com. That was episode 212 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.